Welcome to the Todd and Taylor Show. I'm Taylor Trask. With me is not Todd A. He is actually uh, absent this evening, but joining me instead is Emily Kelly. Uh, wait, I'm not Todd? You're I'm not really... Todd. Oh, okay. You're not right. Tonight. I am Emily Kelly. <laughs> you may be wondering, what's what's going on? Well, what happened was Todd and I were going to do a whole episode about Star Wars Rogue One. And he was going to go to Nashville and see it with his dad, as per tradition. I was going to see it this morning. And somewhere along the way, uh, weather and airplanes and, and all kinds of nonsense uh, threw Todd off. And he's still in San Diego. He never got to Nashville. He never got to see it. And so he is he is currently uh, he's around, but he hasn't seen it yet. And so we thought it, it would be really hard to do an episode that we would spoil the crap out of if he hasn't seen it. And and I didn't want to put him in that position. So um, we were always going to reach out to Emily or some other folks. And uh, Emily was so gracious to join me this evening. And um, I think uh, I think this will work just fine. What about you? Yes, I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars forever. <laughs> excellent, excellent. If you're not familiar with Emily Kelly, she has joined us on past episodes of Wednesday in Westeros. Um, and actually, she comes to us uh, courtesy of the Assembly of Geeks podcast and a new show that we're starting that uh, she and, and Peter have started called Fan Theories. Do you want to uh, give a quick shout out to that? Yes. Um, we actually just had our first episode uh, last week on Monday, and it was about Rogue One also. Excellent. So, like, I've been thinking a lot about Rogue One, and obviously, you can probably discern from the name, it's a podcast about fan theories. So we did fan theories about Rogue One, and after seeing Rogue One, now, uh, you, if you listen to the podcast, you'll realize that almost every single one of those fan theories <laughs> is busted. Only yep. one of them that we talked about actually turned out to be correct. And I think I was correct uh, yep. in my guess. So, yep. I was, I, you know, it's funny. I listened to that prior to going to see Rogue One and some of those theories I hadn't heard. And I was, part of me was kind of like in the back of my mind, like going through the checklist, like, okay, here we go. Is, is that going to happen? Is that going to happen? No, no, not that one. Okay. No, 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 not that one either. Oh, interesting. Not that one. Like, it was interesting to see. I, I, are you, do you like when that happens when a movie basically, you know, kind of blows that out of the water or do you sort of like the idea of going, well, I knew, you know, it, putting the puzzle together. Like I knew these things were supposed to maybe happen and then confirming them. Or do you, would you rather a movie just take you completely by surprise? Um, I mean like a little bit of both. Like I personally like to be a huge know-it-all. So <laughs> it's always fun when I'm like, yeah, called it, nailed it. Um, but I also, it, it that in that it's like a double-edged sword i'm very rarely surprised by tvs and movies and books and stuff mm. so it's also kind of nice when it was like oh yeah great i didn't even see that like i didn't even think of that um so and it was the rogue one was a little bit of both for me like there was things i assumed were going to happen and they did and then there were things that I didn't even think about and that happened. So I was both surprised and like, okay, yes, yes. Nailed it. Called it. Well, let's jump right into Rogue One. Uh, you saw it on Thursday, correct? Yes. I saw it this morning. I guess before we say anything else, just top, top of the top of the list, just general thoughts. Did you like it? I did. I really, really liked it. Mm. It was a good Star Wars movie, man. It was mm -hmm. good. I, yeah. I will also say I liked it. Um, the question is, did you like it better or less than Force Awakens? Oh, my God. Like, everyone's been asking me this <laughs> question. And it's, like, so hard. Like, 
I don't know. And I think really for me, it was definitely a more original feeling story. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I mean, let's just be honest. Like the force awakens was basically a new hope, but with Mm -hmm. different characters and a Mm -hmm. bigger base. So, I mean, I don't know. It's hard. because It's hard because we all know Force Awakens is just the beginning of a journey. And Rogue One is, that was the end all be all. Like, yeah, yeah. we won't see those people again. Except for a few. Except for, like, Mon Mothma and stuff. But um, Well, yeah, and let's, before we get any further, we're going to spoil the crap out of this movie. Oh, yeah, so- yeah. If you haven't if you haven't seen it yet, please, because we're we're I mean, lots of stuff happens that will definitely affect your viewing of this movie if you haven't seen it. So pause us, go down to your local Alamo Draft House or Regal Cinema or whatever you whatever your theater of choice is. Um, go watch it and then on your car ride back, unpause us and we'll we'll continue on because yeah. there's so much there's so much in this movie that like I, I don't even know if it's possible to discuss it without spoiling quite a bit of it i mean there's I don't just think it is really like and you and you could say well we know how it ends I'm like yeah we do kind of but there's so much along the way that i didn't expect and that you know just visually you don't see coming that that's mm-hmm. kind of a huge huge deal so um and just uh, fyi for those listening i'm going to be drinking some yerba mate from my teapot <laughs> here as we go so if you hear a sipping sound that's what that is <laughs> Um, I guess let's let's start at the beginning and run through some big picture stuff. What what were the highlight moments for you? Like what were the moments that really jumped out that you're like, oh god, I mean that that when you get it on Blu-ray or, or digital, you're just gonna rewind, you know, a bunch of times because they were so so perfect for you. Um, I really loved the first time we see Donnie Yen's character, uh, Chirrut Inway, where mm. he fights all those stormtroopers. Um, because if you've never, if you're not familiar with Don Yen, he is a extremely proficient and, and very cool, uh, Kung Fu martial artist. Mm. Um, he, it was in all those Ip Man, uh, movies. So he's oh, a really, okay. yeah, yeah. So, and which is Wing Chun, um, Kung Fu, Wing Chun martial arts. So he's mm. really, really good. Mm. And so I was like waiting. I was like, please beat the crap out of these (laughs) cool way. And he did. So that was like really good. Um, Man. uh, I mean, the reason I got into star Wars originally was seeing empire Mm -hmm. was all of the space battles, um, the dog fighting with the X wings. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I really loved that whole space battle thing. The best part of that whole space battle, though, is when so the Mon Calamari are great strate- uh, uh, strategic minds. You know, they just like see a situation and can like you know understand what what should happen. So for him to like suggest, they're like, "Oh, that uh, star destroyer is down. Get out the hammerhead and use mm-hmm. the hammerhead to push the disabled star destroyer into the other star destroyer." Wasn't that badass? Oh yeah. my god, it was like the coolest thing. I, it was so cool and just like you're because you're watching and going what are they doing with that and they're like yeah, oh my god yeah. oh my god is he gonna use the ship to destroy the other ship to destroy the shield like that i'll yeah. watch that part like a thousand times i was a little surprised that when it went offline the first time before they rammed it um i'm surprised it didn't just randomly fall into the thing but i guess it would make sense because it would be sort of in stationary lock you know yeah. it wouldn't just randomly start falling so that there was a lot of kind of like space physics that made more sense in hindsight at the time. I'm like, why won't that just fall? But you're like, well, no, of course, if it was still, you know, it, it, I'm glad they kind of went the way they did and, and really sort of got 
a little bit more detail oriented with how space works, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, Star Wars has never been the most sciencey of of sci-fi yeah, uh, yeah. things. We're rewatching Star Trek: The Next Generation right now, and they do so much more like science things yeah, <laughs> than yeah. Star Wars. But that's okay. It but even have when to be science, when the destroyer got crashed in the other one, there wasn't some gigantic rip roaring explosion. There was just you know everything just kind of no. broke apart in yeah. uh, really slow motion, and you're like, oh, that's that's how it would be like that. I'm so glad. I mean, just little touches like that. I'm, I'm sure Neil deGrasse Tyson would, you know, drop in at any moment. And go, well, oh, it's not that accurate, yeah. but that's <laughs> for my taste and what I was looking for. I, I dug that. What, what else? What other characters or um, moments or scenes really got you jazz? I really liked Cassian, Captain Cassian. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a huge fan of Diego Luna for like years and years from E2 Tambien oh. and uh, oh, wow. Dirty Dancing 2 which is a dumb movie but he was very good at it. Havana Nights? Is that that yes, one? Yes, Havana Nights. Yeah. Yes. Um, because he is quite charming and handsome and so I was like really interested to see him in this very like leading man uh, mm-hmm. big franchise movie uh, yeah. role and he did a fantastic job like he had that really subtle um, like badassery feel. Yeah. He didn't have to be a big guy. He didn't have to like be brute, like a brute, you know, to you look at him and you're like, yeah, you've done some stuff and some yeah. things. And I yeah. believe that. And I believe that you believe in this cause. Um, I also really liked uh, KSO, K2SO. Yes. Um, yes. Because, like, I mean, Alan Tudyk is the. Okay. Brute. I really wanted to open my phone and figure out who the hell was voicing that that yeah. character because I didn't check the head of time. And the entire time I'm like, who is it? And then part of me thought, is it is it Anthony Daniels who's doing it? Like, is he oh. actually – because it had kind of a quality of that voice. But I'm like, yeah. well, maybe not. And then sure enough, Alan Tudyk, of course. Like, yeah. I should just yeah. always – whenever in doubt, you know, it's probably going to be him. And he, like, stole the show. Like, he was so good. And I think those came about from some of those reshoots that people were really worried about. Yeah. Is that yeah. they tried to add a little bit more comedy uh, to it. And they really used him brilliantly because it was, like, that dry humor. It wasn't, like, like mm-hmm. ha-ha, super funny, like, rolling on the floor laughing. But then mm-hmm. you realize, like, oh, my God, that's the best. Like, when and when they're in the spaceship for the first time and she has a blast, Jin has a blaster, uh-huh. he's like, would you know, want to know the statistical probability of her using that against you? And he's like, no. And then the robot's like, it's high. It's very high. It's very high. So <laughs> brilliant. Like, he was done so well, too. Well, and it's um, like, I, I had heard, I'd heard rumor that his character, like, that that uh, droid would be, would be interesting and fun. And I really found that hard to believe because the design of it was so, meh. I'm like, really? This is going to be a fun character? And within minutes, I was completely on board. I'm like, this is, K, K2, K2SO is my, is, that's my favorite Star Wars droid of all time now. I mean, it's got to be. It's got to hold that for me. It's going to hold that just because of the the way that character, that voice, and that performance blended with just that, yeah, and even some of the the subtleties of the head movement and everything. It just it works so well for me. You know, yeah. Just, um, I'm going back to Diego Luna real quick. I'm oh yes, glad you you get, shined a light on him because he was an unconventional choice. I think uh, mm-hmm. in my mind, and it's I think with with you know in in Warner Brothers uh, hands or somebody a little bit less diligent you know we would probably gotten garrett headland or somebody like that yeah you know where it's like the kind of cliche and nothing against garrett headland i love tron legacy he's fine but like it's just that cliche kind of like buccaneer character versus somebody a little bit more subtle you know and a little bit just a little off the beaten path and i 
I dug him more and more as the movie went on too. Yeah, me too. And I think, I mean, I, the best compliment I've been hearing about this movie is what it means to so many people of color. Yeah. Of just like how I felt sitting watching Force Awakens and going, oh my God, there is a female lead character in a Star Wars film. This is something I've always dreamed of my whole life. Mm. And you know, a lot of people, African-Americans seeing Finn, um, the same for people, Latinos seeing Diego Luna, um, Middle Eastern seeing, uh, Riz Ahmed, uh, yeah. Chinese seeing Donnie Yen. And I think his name is Jang Wen was base mm-hmm. was his like companion. Um, I mean, that's so important. And I just, I'm so glad, like I have other concerns there was not enough women in this movie like mm-hmm. as rebels and the extras and stuff but i for have to have a lead cast that is that diverse is so important to so many people and of course there could have been more like as i said more women more whatever um but like for a little kid who has who loves star wars and gets to see a character that looks like him and sounds like him or her yeah, yeah. so great well and it felt like it felt too like this is what the universe would probably be like. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and More it's aliens, probably. But <laughs> yeah, that was a little surprising. There were there were there weren't as many aliens as you'd expect. Um, you know, they had a they had a couple in sort of their you know, ancillary scenes and things, but it wasn't mm-hmm. you know it wasn't the calamari. I think were the, the ones that were more center stage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other thing, going back to your point about women characters, there was that one blue pilot who was a woman. Um, yeah, there was like two female pilots, and I mean, and Mon Moth. Mon Mothma. Mon, Mon Mothma. Yeah. Yeah. She's always good. There was one other like female senator. But really, uh, what I mean is in those big battle shots mm-hmm. of them like running on the beach or flying or whatever, um, I didn't see too many women. And that was yeah. a problem that or not a problem. That was something I really noticed about Force Awakens because JJ Abrams is a huge um proponent of of equality in film. And mm-hmm. that's what Gina Davis, actress Gina Davis, her simple solution is if you have a crowd of a hundred, make 50 of them women. That's equality. Yeah. yeah. So I felt like they could have done a bit more uh sure. Sure. in that way. But um you know, like I said, it, any progress is good progress in yeah. my mind. So. Yeah. Well, and it, it, I completely agree. It, it was nice, though, to see like the heavy hitters were women. I mean, like uh, Jin was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Mon Mothma was a woman. Like the, the ones who were really kind of the focal point of authority were women. Yeah. That doesn't, it, it doesn't have to start and stop there, but that at least that's, you know, we're in a world now where that's kind of the default in the yeah. norm, you know? And like, but, I, I'm, I'm not so unselfish enough, like, or selfish enough where I'm like, no, only women get more representation. Like, I'm very happy to see a, a Latin uh, lead character in Star Wars and Chinese yeah. lead characters and Middle Eastern and African-American and, you know, British. Let's yeah. put more British people in films. There's just not enough of them, you know? As, as a white dude, I can tell you I was completely fine with, like, <laughs> you know, I, seeing me represented by the villains, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm yeah. like, that's... For the the white the paley white uh, British dude was the only uh, kind of like white guy like yeah for, Ben Ben Mendelsohn the actor Ben Mendelsohn who by the way um he if we're and I'll kind of throw a few of my favorite moments in too I dug him um, he was good and I really I'm sad that I haven't I, I don't remember what else he's in I'm sure there's other things as I start going through the list that he's popped up and then I'll be like oh oh yeah oh yeah I mean but he he really as a Star Wars villain. I kind of, I really dug what he did. There was a, there was a vulnerability there that you don't really see a lot 
And it just sort of, you know, especially at that level of, you know, once you reach that level of the, you know, the Imperium, you know, it just, it seemed like everybody's always just so, you know, just so British and so refined and cocky. And he's, he sort of had a, an angst that, that worked really well. Yeah. Um, I think it was like the insecurity is what it was for me. Like he, he really wanted to be recognized for his achievements, like almost to a fault, like where Vader yeah. almost killed him, like for yeah. being sort of whiny about it, you know? And that's really like, yeah, it's, I liked that they made the bad guy a bit more of a complicated character. Like so many star Wars villains are just bad guys. Standard, bog standard bad guys. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was nice to that have him, um, have not only just a confliction in him because he and Galen, Jin's father, were obviously friends or mm-hmm. at least, you know, comrades at some point. Yeah. To have to do this to him. And then this sort of, you know, insecurity about wanting to have personal glory uh, within the Empire. I was going to say one of my favorite moments was any time Mads Mikkelsen and Ben Mendelsohn were on, <laughs> there's a, there's an English pop duo, Mads yeah. Mikkelsen and Ben Mendelsohn, um, <laughs> Mendelsohn, Mikkelsen there, every time they were on screen together, it was just wonderful. And I don't, it, and, and a lot of that had to do with just the cinematography was always awesome. You know, the, mm-hmm. the movie opened with this killer, I don't know where the hell they found the location for that opening, opening scene where, um, Mendelsohn's character, um, director Krennic comes to where Mads Mikkelsen's hiding out essentially. And, mm-hmm. and basically said, you know, he comes with a, a small ship and a squadron saying, Hey, we're going to pull you back in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mads Mikkelsen's character had sort of was a, was a lead engineer on the death star had sort of, you know, realized what he was, what, what was going to happen if he continued had a, you know, a crisis of conscience and, and kind of pulled himself out. And um, Krennic was trying to get him back in. And just that, that shot of them marching through kind of the muddy grass Again, where the hell that was shot, I would love to know. Like, I don't know where these people are finding Iceland. these locations. I believe it was shot in Iceland. God, um, it was gorgeous. Yeah, because of the green grass and those black sand beaches. I believe yeah. that was Iceland. It's well done. I mean, there there should be an Oscar category for location scouting because that's, know, a, right? that's a hard thing to do. I mean, having been involved in a few short film projects myself, like that's a hard thing to do. And it's a hard thing to do really, really well like they do. Um I can't, I can't even imagine, but that shot of those two guys, you got a sense of like, there was a deeper story here that I would love to, I would have loved for them to have explored a little bit more, you know, when they, when those two guys talk, like there's like layers of like, you know, they were probably friends at one point and maybe Krennic had a thing for metal, uh, um, uh, God, what's his character's name? Urso's, um, uh, Balon Urso's wife at some point, like maybe there's, maybe they all came up together. Like, I kind of wanted to know more about that. Um, yeah. There and is a book. Uh, it's like a prequel book. It's called Star Wars Catalyst that ooh. focuses on Galen Erso. So maybe, it, I haven't is, read it. But is it canon uh, though? Is it like approved? Like this? It is, is canon. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm gonna look into that. that so looks- yeah. So I haven't read it, but I, I hear it's good and it does deal with Galen. So perhaps it talks more about their relationship and like what Galen's deal is um, in that. So. I think I just called him Balin or so like <laughs> my, my game of Thrones is seeping into my Star Wars. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> Galen, Balin, Balin, Greyjoy. I mean, Galen or so yeah. <laughs> there was a little bit of a, there was a little bit of a Pike field to where, you know, where they, where we started, you know, they're just like yeah, that, sort sure. of, that sort of scene. Um, and I'm a huge, I, I'm on the, I'm on the payroll for Mads Mikkelsen anyway. So like anytime he pops yeah. up, uh, he's just so damn charming. Um, yeah. 
Like I got to see him in two things this year. Now that Hannibal's done, I got to see him in Doctor Strange and this. Like, please, more. Work more. More of him. And, you know, he's one of those people like Ray Fiennes where he's a great villain, but I like him even more when he's just playing a a, a regular protagonist or somebody somebody with, you know, very human flaws, you know, Mm -hmm. where he just gets to kind of explore a character um, quite a bit. Like he's he's one of those guys, dare I say – we can't have a podcast go by where I don't name check Kingsman. Um, <laughs> if Matt Mickelson ever found himself in Kingsman, I will shriek like a girl, like a little girl because it would just, right. he <laughs> got that sort of charm. We're like, Oh my God, he would be a great sort of stand in for Colin Farrell whenever need be, you know, just, <laughs> if, if that I, name, I, I agree. If we ever need him. Um, and he was, what was else was he in that? I like, Oh, going way back to clash of the Titans. Remember that remake from like four or five years ago. Yes. Um, was he, he was, in that? He was in that, and he's what? like, it's you don't even recognize him much because he's wearing like you know a helmet and stuff. But he kind of yeah. leads the the soldiers out of whatever the the hell uh, you know kingdom that they're trying to protect from the Gorgon or whatever. You know, he's oh, in yeah. that too, and that's where I was really like, because I, I think prior to that he was just villains, and that was when I was like, you know what, he could as as kind of throwaway as this character is, he can actually bring a level of humanity that I really dig to these guys oh, for sure he was you really know? good and i mean he he like had not enough screen time in my opinion and probably no but well, neither did, neither did forrest whitaker and forrest whitaker brought it in this too like i was sort of eerily captivated by what but um uh sog i can't pronounce his name sog yeah that yeah. was uh you know and this is I, my favorite forrest whitaker is um last king of scotland like oh yeah yeah. He can, he can, after that, he's bought himself a pass forever for me. Like he can do anything he wants that I, you know, and this, <laughs> but this just, this was the, and this is another moment I really liked the idea that a regular person, not a villain can have a bunch of sort of um, robotic appendages and sort mm-hmm. of, you know, help. like it, it, I'm sure it was intentional, but like he was basically Vader without the, the helmet, you know, in terms yeah. of this sort of support suit that keeps him alive and keeps him going. Um, there was even a line where he goes like, you know, there's very little of me left. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just kind of, you know, that juxtaposition to Vader was, I'm like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, um, I love Forrest Whitaker, but I didn't like him in this. Ooh, like, interesting. And, and I think it was just like, I don't know what they, and I, I again, I think it has a, a bit to do with the reshoots that they did. Um, mm-hmm. Because it was like that whole big speech that he gave in one of the trailers doesn't end up in the movie. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah. So there I, was, you know, on that note too, real quick, there was so much from the trailers that didn't appear in this Yeah, movie. I was like, wait, I forgot the part that I liked from the thing and didn't even show up in the movie. I mean, maybe they'll do it like the, the DVD or whatever, but mm-hmm. um. I think uh, if you watch the Clone Wars, the animated, you would know him, Saw Gerrera. He shows up in the Clone Wars. He's like in this oh. of like, I don't know, like six or seven episodes. And so in those, um, it's he and his sister and they f- they're basically revolutionaries mm-hmm. on their planet has been taken over and Anakin and Obi-Wan go there and against the Jedi code and kind of like against the Republic's wishes, they like help them start a revolution and win mm-hmm. this revolution. Mm-hmm. So that he's like been a, f- a fighter most of his life. And so I liked that um, element of the character. So that's why I was like excited to see him in this movie. Um, but it was just like such a, a weird departure from how he was in the clone wars like just look and accent and like you know i know it's been a long time but like especially for me the voice was really 
weird. And it was very hard to understand what he was saying in a lot of points. And it's like, if I can understand what Kylo Ren said through that helmet, (laughs) I should be able to understand what Forrest Whitaker is talking about. So I don't know. That was kind of like, I love that point of comparison because we've come a long, long way from Bane. If, if like, like we've come from, from everybody like, like, (laughs) and then we get Kylo Ren who's perfectly understandable, you know, but you're right. You know, you're kind of winning me over to the side because yeah, you, there was a lot of his dialogue that just was muddy as crap. Yeah. You know? uh, and I think it was just like he was kind of like at the mercy of these reshoots. Like there were um, probably a lot of parts with him that got cut out that would have made it all feel more like that it made sense. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just kind of like one of those fan servicey things that maybe didn't work as well as other fan servicey things. But mm-hmm. I liked it because it was a good look at the difference between what a revolution and a rebellion is. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Because it's like, you see saw and his band of, of revolutionaries basically, mm-hmm. and he's all messed up in that robot suit and his guys, ba- you know, they barely care about innocent life. You know, they, o- they open fire on these stormtroopers in the middle of a bazaar, you know, that they're a little bit on the rougher side. Whereas yeah, yeah, the rebellion yeah. is like, they're trying to minimize casualties. They're trying to do the safe thing. They try. They continue to have a structure with, you know, the counselors and the, and the council and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a cool juxtaposition. And I think there could have been more there, but it just cut for time or cut for, you know, other yeah. things. Yeah. So There was a lot of this. I, I found myself thinking a few times like, man, I wish this was a five-part miniseries. I know. They, they packed so damn much into this thing. Like it, it and, and it almost felt, I was almost put off in the beginning because the first 15 minutes, they were bopping around from planet to planet so fast. I'm just like, slow the hell down just for a second. Like once we got past that opening sequence where we find out how Jin, you know, how Jin and her father were separated, which I, I love that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. It was like, we're on this planet, now this planet, now this planet, now this, and just, it was like so fast. It almost threw me off, and then we kind of, when we got back into it, when the you know the team kind of coalesced, then it kind of it normalized a bit. Mm-hmm. Did that? What was that for you? Did you notice that at all? Was that was that weird? Um, I mean, it was a bit odd, but um, I think it kind of lended to just the overall frantic pace of what was happening. Like that, yeah. it was death. Like they were gonna test this thing. They were mm. gonna blow up a planet. Like there was zero time to sit and watch and wait and whatever. Yeah. So I didn't mind it so much. Uh, okay. And and I get it. I mean, they only have one movie to do this, so they yeah. kind of <laughs> needed to like go through a little of it, you know. So. I'm finding myself more and more. I almost have to go into movies like this consciously telling them, tell, reminding myself what a movie is. It is, you know, 90 minutes to two hours. It is, you know, I, I've, I've gotten really used to TV and long form storytelling, um, but not so much on a completely different topic. Like I, I texted Todd too. Like we're, he and I are probably going to do a Westworld podcast. Cause I really had a lot of problems with Westworld specifically the, the pacing. It was just so sluggish. So if you put that at one end of the perspective or the spectrum, and this is kind of at the other end where it's like, it's really fast and it's, it's, and it's okay because it, it to your point, it is a movie. Like you mm-hmm. have to move and you know get to the, you know, get your beats in and get to the point of the story. So I got to end at the end of the day, this is for all ages, you know? So it's not like, it's not meant to be a meandering, pondering you know, piece of Star Wars literature. It's meant to be a movie. So right. I got to, you know, in my perfect world, there'd be like, you know, 
four hours of scenes with Ben Mendelsohn and, and Mads Mikkelsen just like, have, you know, like, that would be my movie. And then at some point there'd be space <laughs> battles. So I got to realize that's not, it's not for everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> they have to make a movie that's going to sell out. Um, real quick too. What did you think of the, the visual style? Cause I noticed um, just the cinematography was almost more heightened than I think I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, even more so than force awakens. It just, it, there was, you know, the location choices, the integration of CGI, just the color palette, just everything seemed very, very of a new hope, but also very heightened. Was that, did, did you like that? Hate it? Yeah, no, I absolutely like it really still looked definitely like a star Wars movie, but a star Wars movie, obviously done in this modern age of, yeah. you know, good cameras and perfect lighting and color correction and stuff, you know? Yeah. So no, I really liked them. All their locations were so beautiful. I mean, the Scarif, with those beaches and stuff. Oh my yeah. God. Like, where was that? Like, how yeah. can I visit that place? It was so <laughs> oh, it'll really- be opening on Disney world in 2018. Be- <laughs> exactly. I hope so. Um, especially it was like such a, a, a challenging, like it really made me think like when our, you know, perhaps grandfathers or great grandfathers stormed the beach at Normandy. Like mm. they had no time to look around and be like, this is a lovely place. Like, look at this water. <laughs> like, Oh, this sand is great. That's the same thing of scary. Yeah. Of like yeah. they're dropped in on this beautiful beach world where probably they're going to die. Ooh, so, I love that. That's yeah. a great point. Yes. Great point. Um, I want to get into another kind of section of discussion here and I'm just going to label it all fan service because <laughs> And, and this is almost a carryover uh, over from Force Awakens. I know, like the chief complaint, if there is to be one, for Force Awakens was, oh, it was too fan servicey. It was it hit too many beats that fans wanted. Yeah, you can. Uh, I didn't mind that at all. I mean, you could say you good or bad. I think this, if you're going to make that argument, this probably took it to the next gear or the next level, um, <clears throat> to the point where. I did find I did find some of it distracting. Like if we take two columns, like the stuff that was great was all the attention to details, like the costumes that mm-hmm. you know that they really tried to match to you know New Hope and try to put it square in that universe. The fact that um, the uh, actress, what's her name, um, Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, who is basically as I mean as close to her clone of the original actress as you can get. Yeah. Um, you know all the little touches like that were were great. Where it got a little bit. Yeah, too much for me it was like the like the throwaway scene with c3po and r2d2 just randomly at the at the ba- rebel base where you're like <laughs> i mean for two seconds like hey r2 did you see that whoa and it's just like okay <laughs> um and then you know things like and this this is the, the big one for me and i'm still not sure where i fall on this the the way they brought back governor tarkin oh, um man. It was, I knew it was coming. I'd heard that they're like, we're going to try to do the Tron legacy thing and, and bring, you know, bring Peter Cushing back through the magic of cinema movie making. <laughs> um, and when they revealed him, it was, it was almost like the uncanny Valley. was like staring me right in the face. and I didn't know how to react because <gasps> when he turns around, you're like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But, oh God, is it, oh, ah, and it just, it, it, I didn't quite believe it. There were there were other scenes where it was a bit more refined, and I was kind of like, "Oh my god, th- they nailed it there," but it was it felt a little uneven. And then I started to ask myself, "Did we really need that? Like, did we really need them to go out of their way to resurrect Peter Cushing for this movie, or did, <laughs> you know, could we have just had like insinuations of of Governor Tarkin?" Um, yeah. I, I, how did that play for you? 
I lit like as soon as because I did know he was going to be in it, or at least Tarkin was going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they did that first shot where you see him, behind, you know, behind his back, and then you kind of see his reflection. As soon as he turned around, I literally said out loud, and I'm, "I'm sorry to whoever was sitting next to me." I literally said, "Oh wow," because yeah. it was like I, it was like I was seeing Peter Cushing's ghost. Right? Like it was like this kind of like. Like, like how you would feel if you knew someone and then just, you just like saw them, you know, like, Oh God, what? Um, for me, like, I, I really, I, I always marvel at the technology of these things. Like they just did it in Westworld too, with Anthony Hopkins. They like aged him down a little bit. And, uh, in, uh, civil war, uh, Captain America civil war, they did it with Robert Downey Jr. Uh, a little bit in that like simul, simul um, oh yeah simulation that he does yeah yeah so I know it's fake for mm-hmm. me Tarkin looked really good I know a lot yeah. of people had a problem with the eyes yeah um, which are the yeah. hardest to animate uh, yeah any any animator will tell you um for me what took me out of it was the voice the voice was like mm-hmm. all wrong and they yeah. the, you know kudos to the voice actors who did the aliens and did him and did a few mm-hmm. of the other ones but it was just that's what really took me out of it um for him but at least for these like the few ones tarkin uh leia is also the, the leia guy. one yeah the leia one at the end i i will actually don't get me wrong i a thousand kudos to the animators to freaking I, I knew that was like a a, a feat of of, a, of magic to pull off and not even just like three seconds like tarkin was in it a good chunk of time oh he yeah had, he yeah. probably had 15 minutes of screen time at least um just that so believe me more power to you but just the leia thing at the very end like when she when we saw her back turned i kind of wish i'm like uh, in my mind i was thinking don't turn around don't turn around yeah. don't turn around <laughs> And then when she turns around, I in the theater was going, what? And like and the people next to me were like, they kind of started to chuckle when I did that. Cause I just, <laughs> I was, it was almost like one step too far. Cause I'm like, man, we don't, we get it. We don't need to see her. And then she turned and then they actually show her face. And it was almost, that was almost, a, 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 it felt a little more rushed in terms of the job compared to Tarkin. It was like, they spent all their time on Tarkin. They're like, Oh God, they want to lay a scene too. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, shoot. Where is the footage? Okay. Where's the footage? Let's get Carrie Fisher in here. And it's, and, and I say this as somebody who, you know, when Tron Legacy came out, everybody was bitching about Jeff Bridges didn't look real. I'm like, you know what? That was, that, that, that whole thing worked for me so well because A, it was a digital world. So yeah. you could kind of forgive some of the digitization. But B, like they had Jeff Bridges there to like, and they went through a thousand different like, you know, motion capture sort of schematics and stuff. And so they tried, I mean, that was 2010. They tried really yeah. hard and, and I think pulled it off. The fact that Peter Cushing isn't alive is a little bit. I think that was when you mentioned the fact that he is dead and they resurrected him. That was probably my problem. It was like, yeah, man, this think- is. This yeah. is weird. I don't know. I think that was a lot of people's problems with it. I mean, just that maybe it wasn't exactly perfectly, but that it was, yeah, it felt really freaking weird. Like, you know, like at least, um, what's another example? Oh, when uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away mm-hmm. or they were still doing the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. So they didn't Photoshop him in anywhere. He'd already finished all his scenes, but it was still, it's still very weird right? to watch a movie almost immediately after someone dies. Peter Cushing has been dead for a, for a bit longer than immediately, but still it was like, I don't know, man. But for me, it was like, I, I got it. Like there was a purpose to it. Like it wasn't unnecessary yeah, yeah. fan service. 
she was a big integral part of the building of the Death Star and the mm-hmm. operation of the Death Star. Um, so he was a good I, cudgel for Ben Mendelsohn too. Like I kind of oh, like that sure. sort of like these two guys. There's not just a, a clear line of succession. Like there's you know infighting and and political maneuvering even at the imperial level. Like I I yeah. liked that idea. Yeah. Um, I you got one real quick note though. Go back and watch that last Hunger Games movie. There is one scene where they Photoshop Philip Seymour Hoffman in in a really weird, glaring oh, really? way. It's yeah. at the very, very end, and it didn't even they didn't even need to do it. That was the thing. Like you didn't even need this, and then now now I'm really put off. So at the very end, when Patina Miller is elected president, and they're showing kind of like a a hollow vid of her giving kind of her her um, inauguration speech, mm-hmm. and then and then like there's Plutarch. Always, you know, there is always, and it's like the most weird floating oh. head Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's just kind of like it, it. It's like they didn't even try to make it look real, and it's just <laughs> sort of like, why did you guys even need that? Like, just oh, cut that line and that bit, and it's totally fine. Um, the Leia thing, though, like <laughs> throwing her in. Um, again, it would have been so cool just to have seen like an outstretched arm with the familiar tunic, you know, just something right. that's that's yeah. like. You guys didn't need to go to the extent of actually freaking showing a 22-year-old Carrie Fisher, like, deliver, <laughs> like, the last line of the movie. Like, we didn't need that. Yeah. I, I didn't think. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, screw you. Like, it was amazing. Like, this, my childhood is reborn. Um, but it's just like, eh. It, it's one of those things where I think you got to kind of pick your battles. And I think the ones that you focus if, – if you go with a less is more approach on that stuff – then the stuff that, you know, then it, like the Tarkin thing would have probably worked even better for me because then they're not trying to cram everything in. For um, sure. I was I was to the point where I really thought, I'm like, are we going to see like Billy D. Williams like de-aged <laughs> for like five seconds too? Is he going to be like, like yeah. is there going to be some shot at Cloud City where like he's monitoring like what's going on going, oh, well, at least we live up here in the clouds, right, everybody? <laughs> like it was, it was to that point where I'm like, you have surprised me, you know, in the least. Uh, no, I will say, I did like Tarkin in it because I just think Tarkin's like a really cool, like bad he is. guy. He is. Um, so, but red leader, gold leader. Um, and that is not digital. Uh, I saw that today that it was actually unused footage from a new hope that Holy they dug crap. up. Yeah. That they dug up at Skywalker ranch and Whoa. got to use in the film. So that's why that was so perfect of the voice, the look. Oh everything. my God. Okay. So that, but, that I, Bravo for that because yeah, that, that was the best. Damn, like, because, I could, like unsung heroes of the rebellion, red leader, mm-hmm. gold leader. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, like they did not get enough time in a new hope. And so yeah. they showed up because if you're like if you're a casual Star Wars fan, you probably would oh okay, cool, these guys. But if you're like me, you like you're like gold leader, red leader. Yeah. Oh well, my god, you guys. The woman sitting next to me, like she almost cried. When that scene came on, and I was like, for a second, I'm like, wait a second, I'm like, oh, that's right. These are the these are the actual guys. Like, yeah, these are the dudes. Now that I know they're not CGI, I'm I almost yeah. want to go back and watch just to take that in, knowing yeah. that that's the case. Yeah. Wow. So that's why those were so perfect. And then oh my goodness. <laughs> did, I mean, what about like was did it did it feel were you were you happy with all the fan service or did it feel distracting at any point no i liked it and i think it actually worked better in the context that it was so close to the actual original movies like force force awakens is like plus 30 years from yeah. the original trilogy so to have this fan servicey kind of thing you know, it doesn't make as much sense as it would when they bump into the guys from the cantina on Jada. 
Yeah. Like, because those guys probably just left Jada to go to Tatooine, you know? Yeah, like, I forgot about that, but that scene, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, we're, uh, we're the guy, the, the, the dude and his friend who confront Luke at the, at the cantina. Yeah, they bump into Jin and Jada. On- I don't like you. I love, yeah. And I love it. They kind of de-escalate. It was the same setup, and then they, did, they de-escalated it on Jada. They're like, no, no, yeah. just let's keep going. Like, no, 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 we're fine. So I actually liked it because it, it felt more uh, in, in context uh, that it actually worked with the story and the timeline and stuff. Where Force Awakens was just like, a Star Wars movie for the first time in 10 yeah. years or whatever. A real, a real Star Wars movie for the first <laughs> yeah, time. None exactly. of this is prequel nonsense. Like, this is a real thing. George Lucas is like, it's not what I would have done. But yeah, okay, you're I like, guess. okay, George Lucas, just sit down. Have a juice box. You're fine. Has he have a okay. juice box? <laughs> Has he come out of the woodwork this time around to, like, comment on this? Have you seen He anything? did, actually. And he said that he really enjoyed Rogue One and that he really liked it. Interesting. So. Yeah, he so- he kind of threw some shade on Force Awakens last year. Yeah, um, it was like yeah. you know, it's, uh, I you know, I had a Skywalker story that was going to be better, so you know, it's not I really. Know. I I, and I actually was thinking about this the other day of the original intent for Star Wars that he really his first draft of Star Wars was very much in line with what Force Awakens was. It was a female Ooh. protagonist, a female Force sensitive protagonist. Yeah, he wrote he wrote Skywalker as a woman. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and I mean, like this big, crazy star base or whatever. So I understand why he's a bit salty. We actually talked about this on the Assembly of Geeks. Um, We were joined by an author who just did a biography about George Lucas. And so he was explaining, like, it wasn't that George Lucas, like, after all the shit with with the prequels, you know, was more he was mad at... Not the fans so much, but more just mad at the film industry in general Mm -hmm. of like he wanted to make a Star Wars movie the way he wanted to make it and nobody ever would let him make it, you know? Oh, sure. So it was more like he still has a lot of opinions about Star Wars. And I get that, man. I think George, personally, I think George Lucas is a freaking genius. And thank you, George Lucas, for inventing this beautiful world that has brought so much joy to so many people, including me. Yeah. You know, if he wants to complain a little bit, that's cool. That's his prerogative, man. I'm I sure J.R. Tolkien would complain too. Oh know? God, I I couldn't even imagine if Tolkien was still alive, and it's like he'd probably rip the hell out of the. the he would movie. like slit all of our throats. Like, oh God, like he would sit in the Hobbit theaters and like cry, probably. You know, well, like I I did that. I mean, that's the Hobbit's whole <laughs> podcast. Do it. So I I really wish so Lucas would be more Stan Lee and less you know curmudgeon because it's like stan lee is kind of stan lee knows what you know he's like we were just you know we were he stan lee in his wildest dreams never thought there'd be a multi-billion dollar movie industry taking his his creation so seriously right and i think like i wish george lucas would recognize like dude you have inspired an entire generation of filmmakers who care about this shit more, more than you ever did and like sit back and enjoy like there's they're playing with more money and more like like everybody on those teams like cares about this to death Mm -hmm. and and you could just go in and enjoy like as a creator i would be thrilled with that like just to to know that they were taking it so seriously and and you know um weaving in so much detail that's loyal to the original um for sure so uh, on that same note what did you think? And we'll we'll talk more about the ending in a in a minute. But like for just a second, what did you think about how they tied this so closely into New Hope? Were you expecting that? Because literally, this thing ends probably two hours before a New Hope begins in yeah. the timeline of the universe. No, I mean, and I expected that because it's like the the story of Rogue One is in the 
the scroll of a mm-hmm. new hope. Mm-hmm. So, and this is I, I was laughing in the fan theories. I made a joke of like, Hey, you want a, a sequel to rogue one? It's called a new hope. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't need a sequel people. Like it has one. It has three actually two. Yeah. so um no i liked it and i i love those kinds of things like when they go back and you can see how it all kind of fits together like that was speaking of the hobbit since i've mentioned it that was kind of like um i love that where you kind of get to see like oh i've already seen this one and now we're going back and i get to see like the the right come up like how we got into the other thing like almost immediately yeah um and again, I thought in context, it it worked really well. I mean, it was like, it was really cool to your like, because I've seen A New Hope a billion times. Mm-hmm. So I'm like looking at this Starcraft going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that's Leia's craft. Oh my yep. God. Like they're getting this on the ship where she just goes. Like, yeah. it, I loved it. it okay, great. well, let's let's just talk about the ending now then. Because like the yeah. other thing I found strange, um, and, and there's so much of that ending was so amazing and also like a little befuddling. Um, why exactly was Leia's, why would they put Princess Organa on a ship that close to the freaking battle? Like, it just seemed weird that all of a sudden there's this, sh- and maybe I misunderstood because but, like that was that the ship that she was on was like, um, anchored on the, uh, was it she anchored on the Calamari vessel that was like literally there? One of them. Yeah. One of like the space jumpers or whatever they're called. It, the was that intentional? Cause it seemed like she was. When they when they cut to Bail, the last time Bail Organa was on screen, they mm-hmm. kind of name checked the fact that you know he'd be handing something off to Leia or she'd be you know helping out. But it's, it it did I misunderstand that she was it was yeah she was meant to be there at the battle because it was just like why would they put like such a valuable asset right in the line of fire like that? It was just I don't know. I didn't really think about that to be honest. Um, I think maybe it was just like they just decided in a split second like oh God, we're gonna go help them. I guess you know like and it just. They were already on the ship going somewhere. Yeah. And like, nah, we gotta go. We gotta go to Scarif and fight. So hang on. Okay. Yes. You know. I maybe I should rewatch it because the ending was so frantic that I mean, I'm sure there were details yeah. that I just missed the first time that I'll see the second and third time that'll that'll make it feel a little bit more fleshed out. Yeah. Um, but that does make sense. Like, yeah. Like, what if she died? Like, what would if there would be oh, no I, Star Wars essentially? Yeah. I'm like they they were sending her into uncharted territory. So not only that, but. The um uh, the, the and I forget the calamari general that it wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't uh, uh, Admiral Akbar. Thank God, it was like a different admiral. Um, yeah, I forget what his name is too. Uh, sorry, I'm not a calamari okay. guy. <laughs> it's, it's that guy, but like the, he he was almost like they they made it seem like he was sort of not uh, defecting but acting like you know he kind of went rogue himself with his ship. So it was weird that like then her ship was part of them. Like what? Yeah, um, I don't know what happened, but I maybe think- they're just like maybe that's one of those moments where like just ignore that. This yeah. it's cool that she's here, right? Just like it. Damn it. Well and I'll I- forgive it only for the fact that that last scene where Vader boards like just that last hallway scene where Vader boards it and starts yeah. ripping through all those guys. That was that was worth the, the, the money I paid alone just to see oh. Vader board it and start using like, cause we never really got to see Vader really use the force in a massive way in the, in the first three, you know, he got to do the choke thing a lot, but we never got to see him like pull a Kylo Ren, like stop a, stop a laser blast, like, you know, midway through firing or just rip somebody you know up against the ceiling and just toss them aside like we finally got to see some vader badassery that's you know thanks you know that fits in today in today's context um yeah. 
because we sure. got the tools to do it. But and just I always like, thought that too about the originals. Like there, nobody is as afraid of him as they should be. Yeah. Like, he has a powerful, very bitter, angry person. Like they yeah. should all, they should, like none of those Imperial guys should be sassing him at all. No. I mean, he could no. kill them literally with a thought. And yeah. they're all like, this is a hokey religion that you have. And I would like, if I was our Vader, I would snap that guy's neck, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. So I was really excited to see him like go like all out. And I think, I think I talked about it on the assembly geeks too, of this is so close to much closer to him, you know, just becoming Vader, uh, mm-hmm. that he really is still that very angry, grieving, bitter guy that it was really like good for his care like good towards the character that he just ripped through these poor dudes yeah well just the sort of the 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 haunted house aspect of him getting closer and closer and that one poor guy who's got the plans trying to like get through the door and hand it off and even when he hands it through the door that guy's got to run through the next hallway because vader's just chart he's not stopping he's just methodically going through these guys um And when I saw the helmets and just the clothing, you're like, I'm like, oh, these are the guys you're going to end up on Leia's ship. Never yeah. did I think that, oh, no, they're on Leia's ship. I was like, holy crap. That, yeah. So that was kind of cool to just see that that happen. Because in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, at some point, we're probably going to see how it gets to Leia. Um, but I didn't realize we'd see literally how it gets into her hands. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> we're going to do that. I just it, When you mentioned, by the way, like, Vader, I can kill you with the thought that I'm reminded of that Eddie Izzard scene. Or oh, yeah. Eddie Izzard joke. He's like, I'm it's Lord wet. Vader. Wet. <laughs> I can kill you with a thought. Is there, are you Mr. Stevens? No, I'm not Mr. Stevens. I'm Vader. Lord Vader? Like, that, you're so right. That, that bit, that Eddie Izzard bit, if you wonder what I'm talking about, go find the Eddie Izzard album Circle um, oh or the live special Circle or just go Google Death Star Canteen. Yes. And you'll find the scene. And it really does sort of represent prior to all these movies, like the first trilogy, like a lot of those Imperial guys don't really treat <laughs> Vader with the respect he deserves. Yeah. It's weird. What does it do? It does death. Yeah. This what? Is a it's star. a death star. It does death. Yeah. God, it's fun. I need to go watch that now too. It's so fun. Because it's like I, I really wish they got to have like more Vader because it's like, I know this isn't Vader's story at this point, yeah. but like I really it always bothered me about the original trilogy that, that people were not more afraid of him and like more wary of him. Like you saw like Kylo Ren's like having a bitch fit and those, yeah. like, those stormtroopers turn right around. Like they're yeah. like, no, thank yeah. you. We do not want to be a part of this. Yeah. You know? So do you, I, I, maybe it's, I mean, and, and what did you think about the lack of, you know, the force was name checked a lot, but yeah. there were no Jedi's. The only lightsaber we saw was at the very end in that scene, which made it all the more impressive and scary. Cool. I'm so yeah. glad they held off on any of that stuff. And I think too, just the idea that, you know, there wasn't, we didn't see some random, I was scared too. Cause with all the, the fan service, I'm like, man, are we going to see some like ship crashing on Tatooine and like, you know, a, a CGI Ben Kenobi, like, you know, like looking up in the sky or something. He's already was, there. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, what, did you like the fact that like they really it, it almost felt like this movie did more to mythologize the Jedi than I think any movie I've seen before because it was all like you know it was all from, we got to see it from the perspective of somebody who's not a Jedi right yeah, for it's sure. it's all like you know you see like the broken temple of the Jedi you know the Jedi uh, you know on Jedha um, you got to see like the sort of the the almost it kind of reminded me of like you know a little bit of like Islamic militants you know in terms of like their their 
their you know uh what do i want to say like just sort of their reverence for like the jedi and like this is what it, and almost taking it too far like you know like we're we're defending the temple and we're gonna do whatever we need to we'll suicide bomb to to make sure that this stays stays um in place um and then uh just donnie donnie yen's character kind of being sort of like the the stand-in for a jedi i guess yeah he was still a force uh i mean force user but not technically force wielder like he only force power he really exhibits is that he can see ish yeah um so but i mean in the context of the Star Wars universe at this point, I mean, set after the Empire takes over, the the remaining Sith, the two Sith, Darth Sidious and Darth Vader, uh, eliminate. I mean, Order sixty six eliminates every single Jedi besides mm-hmm. Luke, Leia, and Ben Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Um, I count Leia in this. Come at me. Um, she is a Force sensitive. Well, wait, it, what about the what about in um, Rebels? Isn't there like somebody who? Survives? Oh yes, and oh yes, you're right. Uh, two two Force. I, I don't really watch that show, but yeah, there's like two force wielders, two force sensitive people, Kanan and Ezra, I believe. Yeah. So like they, and the Sith, like in some of the expanded universe that you see a little bit more of this, like they sack all of the Jedi temples and steal all the, the Jedi like archive data and like smash all these holocrons mm. and just like they try to. I mean, it's like a propaganda thing of like, they mm. try to like erase the Jedi from memory and so it's really only the people who have been alive to know a jedi or to have met a jedi which in this concept would still be the people in the rebellion not the young people perhaps but like mon mothma bail organa obviously yeah um and so like and that's what in in the force awakens that's why it seems like she's like what that was all real like i can't believe that but in this it's like people still remember the jedi and i i really liked it i talked a lot about this uh, multiple times of this is a Star Wars story that we really needed right now in this particular time in our history of that. You don't have to be someone special. You don't have mm-hmm. to be someone with magical powers and a lightsaber to save the galaxy. I mean, Rogue One for me was always a story about regular, ordinary people being willing to stand up for what's right and and sacrifice themselves for a cause that was greater than them as any Jedi would have done. So we didn't need so much of the force as we have in the other eight Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. seven Star Wars movies, um, because the force was always there. Yeah, It was just moving through these people in that the force basically just represents everything. And obviously the light side of the force represents goodness. So the force would be there to help them. It helps Donnie Yen for a time. A little yeah. Bit. yeah. But um, and his buddy. And his and Bays, obviously Bays. Um, well, but that it also well the force is is nonpartisan. You know, it the force yeah. helps Darth Vader and Darth Sidious too. Uh-huh. So we just didn't really see it as much. And I like that. I mean, there's tons of stuff in the Star Wars universe that have zero things to do with the Jedi and the Sith. So I'm glad yeah. we got to see a little glimpse of that for Rogue One. That's really oh, that's a really good point. I never even thought about. And it's going to be something that comes up again um, in the Young Han Solo movie because we're going to exactly. see. You know, basically, you know, a time before this, probably where, you know, Han and it's like, again, there won't be any Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, there probably won't be any Vader, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. just to kind of keep that card, you know, really well used. Um, and again, it'll be, it'll be normal people in this universe having to solve problems and, 
you know, make, make for themselves their own way and yeah. not just be, you know, a, you know, a Skywalker by blood. And it's like, it's all, but that was the thing about the George Lucas comment last year that I really, you know, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Cause he's like, well, this is always a, supposed to be a family drama. And I'm like, yeah, but then it's to your point. It, it's always then you have to be born into this. It's almost like a caste system sometimes where you got to be yeah. born into this. And it's like, you're not, you don't matter unless you're of Skywalker blood. And it's like, well, no, there's other people who do good things too. Yes. You know, it's, yes. I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk real quick about Jen versus Ray. Um, I, I am, uh, again, I'm on the payroll for any female protagonist in any movie. So, you know, right away, you've, you've got me hooked with that just cause it's, they're more interesting. There's more depth I, I can go on and on and on. Todd and I've talked about this ad, ad nauseum, but I did kind of like Jen's pat Jen's sort of arc a little bit more than Ray's, you know, to be fair, we Ray's isn't over yet. Yeah. Um, but like Jen, I just Jen as a character just seemed, I don't know, I really and I dig Ray Daisy Ridley anyway. So, mm-hmm. oh, not Daisy Ridley. Good lord. Um, is that who? Yeah, is that? No, that plays Ray. Yeah, Daisy Ridley plays Ray. Who the hell plays Jen? Jones. Felicity Jones. Thank you. God, name was in my or saw her face. Just couldn't match yes. it. But yeah, Felicity Jones. I like her too. I just, I just dug this more. I, Ray was fine. I completely loved, loved that character. But I just, I kind of like this. I like the fact that that Jen was sort of, you know she was a little unscrupulous and she was, you know, she was in prison when we meet her. So she's not like this sort of, you know, little, little girl of virtue who has this sort of wide eyed journey. Like she's kind of this, this little hellion who, you know, was in the right place at the right time. And I dig that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, exactly. Like Ray, we are going to get to see more of yay. Um, And Jin, this was her story. The only story that we'll get to see if her, unless they make, you know, comics or books or something, prequel books. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I like that she, they allowed her to be a complicated woman. That's so important mm-hmm. in cinema and just in life to allow women to be human. Um, and I really, I really liked what they did with her. The, I mean, she was an atypical hero for a Star Wars movie. I mean, think of the three heroes we've seen really so far as Anakin, this mm. little kid, wide-eyed, super smart driver kid, and then yep. he gets to go be a Jedi. Same thing with Luke, very innocent, like, mm. you know, the, he's never been off Tatooine before. Same thing with Rey. Yep. Jin has seen the galaxy and mm. done some stuff and lived that she has she is coming in we come into her story when there's already a lot of story that's run yeah so and i really like that and i think she felicity jones is a very good actress and she just has a really good presence um and beautiful she's a beautiful woman um and she really like had a good authoritative nature yeah. to her. Like it yeah. wasn't that she, a lot of times in action movies, they make female characters like have to overcompensate, like that they're like overly aggressive or like yeah. overly good at stuff. And she just was like, people yeah. just followed her because it was the right thing to do. And she was willing to fight. And, but I like that she had a lot of conflict that she had a lot of complicated feelings about the rebellion. And I think that was a really good, um, look at the rebellion of like we have always seen them as the good guys, and maybe not everyone sees them that way. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe a lot of people were just cool with the empire. Like maybe they didn't like it, but that they they had a job, 
they yeah. lived on a planet. They were relatively safe if they kept their head down. And that was okay. And that was okay with her too. I mean, she, she obviously did some disrupting of the empire on her own before this, mm-hmm. but you know, well, just that line that she gives to Saw uh, where she's like, you know, he's like, do you really want, or was it, no, no, it wasn't to him. It was to, um, uh, Cassian where he's like, do you really want the empire like lording over here? She's like, yeah, if you don't, ever, it's fine. If you don't look up. Yeah, um, exactly. Maybe that was to Saw I, the thing I liked about I her too. Cassian. Yeah. Oh yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah you're right. It, it was, was Cassian. Cassian. Um, yeah. Thing I liked about her too, she kind of did an Amy Adams thing where Amy Adams is like the master at non-sexualizing her roles. Where oh, yeah. She, yeah. Like, and it's so and she's a beautiful woman too. Both her and Felicity Jones are beautiful. And at no time are you think are you like distracted by that? And at no time is that the thing about their character. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't know how they do it. Like Amy Adams can get into a role and just like arrival is a great example. Oh, and yeah, you, just, yeah. you just buy into her humanity and her troubles as a character. And the fact that she's pretty is like last on the list, right. you know, and uh, Felicity Jones. And I didn't, I didn't expect that. Cause I've seen Felicity Jones and other stuff where, you know, she, she puts on her face and kind of puts that front and center. And I'm like, man. And I was really pleasantly surprised to see her really tamp that down. And just, it was just, the, it was the character. And if the character you know, happened to be good looking, fine, but that's not the point at all. For sure. I really, really like that. And I'm um, glad, like, as much as, like, I'm a hardcore shipper, like, I get really dramatic with my ships. And so, of course, <laughs> I'm, like, looking at Cassie and Andor, like, oh, God, that guy is so cute. Girl, you should, like, maybe hang out with him more. But I'm glad they didn't really go that route. Like, you could definitely tell that they liked each other and respected each other. Um but like at the end when they die yeah it was a much more satisfying ending for me that they're just like holding hands and hugging not like making out or anything yes you know thank you thank you like it it just felt more like they did they didn't need to and i like that like it was good like they just understood like look i'm gonna die and it was nice to know you and you're cute and i'm cute and Bye. We had a we had a moment of of and maybe you know maybe in another life we could have yeah, been yeah maybe more, in another life so it is I, and, I, and I woke once, up this morning I was like so much fan fiction is being written right now like oh, you can sure. almost hear it <laughs> you know like hear the fangirls getting ready yeah. myself included <laughs> oh yeah well and once once we were once I was past the point where it's pretty clear that you know she wasn't Ray's mom um like because that you know that kept that was bandied about quite a bit. Like, oh, she's going to be Ray's mom. And this is, you know, like once that, once we were past that, once they're like, we're stuck on this planet, we're, we're not getting off. Um, then my next thought was, I was trying to, you know, as I second guess the movie all the way through my next thought was now, if these guys make out at any point, I'm, it, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to give them a, I'm going to dock them a house point just because it's like, ah. but so I'm so glad they, they had the restraint to go. This is what in the real world, this is what the situation would be. And yes. You know, that, yeah. that was so, yeah, I knew he, you know, once he sort of fell on the, at first when he fell from the thing, when they were climbing up the data, the data tower, I, I, I'm like, God, did he fall the way? And then when he landed, I'm like, oh, well, he'll be back. So there's yeah, that like little, he'll be around, but it was a little, little bit nerve wracking because like three other characters had already died at that point. And so yeah. I'm like, oh, God, like, well, when she, I did have to laugh too, by the way, on that same scene where, where that like little chomping thing, that chomping hole thing was like, she had to jump through it. I, oh, yeah. I was in, I, I, in the theater. I was like, what? And like, everybody started laughing. I was like, um, okay. <laughs> really? like, right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. 
this is cool. Yeah. It's like, why did we need like real? And, and I almost wonder if that wasn't just like thrown in there for shits and giggles. Like, well, we got to have something ridiculous, some kind yeah, of like, nonsense. Let's just like keep the anxiety like jacked up to nine. You know? Yeah. And I wonder if that wasn't part of the reshoots. We're like, you know, we just need some kind of like ridiculous imperial, like weirdly designed thing here that makes no <laughs> Stupid sense. Stupid thing. Yeah. 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 Why, why is that in here? Um, let's just talk about that real quick, though. Everybody dies. Yeah. Everybody I call, dies. I knew they were going to die. I mean, we talked about this in in fan theories. And this is part of the reason why so many of our fan theories are busted now mm -hmm. so we had so many theories we're like oh then jim becomes captain phasma and i'm like no she doesn't she's minimally obliterated you know she cannot be ray's mom because she's dead yeah. um so i mean as soon as it was like describing what the plot of this movie was I'm like they're all gonna die and i kept saying like on twitter like do not get attached to people on this mm -hmm. movie because they are going to die so like peter if you listen to the fan theories like he's fanboying out about Donnie Yen because he loves martial arts. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, don't get attached to him because yeah. you will be sad. And someone said of like, oh, I just, you know, there just wasn't a lot of character development. Like, I didn't feel like we got to know the characters. And I'm like, oh my God, like, can you imagine if we did? Like, yeah, I was seriously. crying for like 40 minutes, like this end part. I was like crying about X-Wing pilots I had no idea about. Like, I, I didn't even know their names. Oh, like, when K2SO started going down, I'm like, oh man. Oh, that was, that was the start of my tears. Yeah. And I said on the podcast too, I was like, that robot is going to die for humans. Mark my yeah. words. He seems, yeah. you know, can't cankerous now but he uh will die for them it's so. it's it's one of those things where and and it, it goes back to like they they really treated this like this is what would have probably happened in a real in a real context oh, yeah. like even to the point where like yeah the character development thing is usually one of my chief complaints but i'm like these guys had hardly had time to even say hi to each other so yeah. the relationships you know um donnie yen's character and and um again i'm just gonna keep calling his Bates. buddy because I, I can't Bates. remember his name base like they were already friends so that makes <laughs> sense like you know that feeling of loss is justified because those guys had been hanging out for a while and the feeling of like cassian you know he was sad when k2so died because they had already kind of known each other mm -hmm. but it wasn't like you know there wasn't some scene where like you know Jin was having like a forced memory of of danny and dying and going oh god that's like none of that like that could have easily been forced and i'm so glad they held back I did kind of think, I'm like, I'm like, I'm sure I went in going, I'm sure a lot of these guys are going to die. I kind of thought in the back of my mind, maybe one's going to make it out. And then that one's yeah. going to have to have the sort of the uh, survivor's grief of, of knowing these and then having to go off and sort of like, you know, try to live a life. Cause there was so much of this that, that mirrored, you know, the storming of Normandy, like you said, or like yeah. Vietnam or like, you know, once we got into the war aspect of this thing, the black Hawk down kind of aspect of this, um, you know, the saving private Ryan aspect of this, Part of me thought, okay, well, one of the—they're really doing a great job, sort of mirroring what the you know what the actual real world equivalents would be. But one thing that would be cool is just to see one of them make it somehow, and then he has to go on and, and just be you know kind of tormented by this the PTSD of this for forever. Um, so I get and I well, I know, I know, I know, but like. And, and and maybe it was um who played the pilot? Oh, what's his name? Oh, um, uh, Riz Ahmed, uh, Bodhi Rook. Bodhi. And I'm like, well, maybe it's that guy because like he's had an interesting journey. He defected and maybe and he you know invested himself more and more. Maybe he's got to has got to go on. I get though like the logic of that. Like there's no way not any of them were making it off that planet. So once that sort of settled in, I'm like, well, it would almost be weird now if they like if one of them shot through at the last second, you know, Independence yeah. style. I was like, I made it, you know, and so I get that, but still, part of me kind of wishes there was one person, you know, and then maybe at the end, 
Leia was like, you know, we'd love Bail Organa was like, we'd love for you to join us. And they're like, you know, I, I just, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of this. Um, so I, I mean, that's, that would be hard to pull off. So I get completely get why they didn't go that way, but yeah, everybody and everybody, like I, even the, I'm surprised Leia's ship made it off because the, the ship that the, the general, um, I'm just going to call him general or Admiral Calamari is it Admiral Radis was his name. Or, um, the, the, the one who's not, uh, um, uh, Oh God! What the hell is his? Not Admiral Akbar. Not Admiral Akbar. <laughs> Let's keep calling him that. Not his ship completely blew up too, didn't it? And like they yeah, got. No, it's kind of hard to tell because there was like three identical ships. So once once Vader rolled in, like it was almost like pretty fast. Like they all just started going down, going you know, and he uh, and then the Death Star you know was obviously you know hovering over too. So it was you know it was it was it was pretty clear that this was all. Yeah, you know, just them getting that message out became more and more like the door of that, the the visual of that door closing at the end and that guy handing the message off really summed yeah. up like that last hour of that movie where it's like the window of getting that message out of there. What started off as, oh, all we got to do is bop it up and it'll be hard, but we'll, you know, we'll make it work. It just got narrower and narrower and narrower. And just that was visualized by that guy handing it through and barely getting it off that ship. Yeah. Um, that was that almost like that temple of doom. Like we got to get out before the thing closes. <laughs> just, it, they really stretched it out. It was really satisfying. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like I, I talked about this on fan theories too. Of it would almost make less sense for them to survive than it yeah. would for True. them to die. True. So, I mean, that's what rogue for me. This is always what it's been about. It's been about sacrificing, making the ultimate sacrifice for a cause that was greater than yourself. And obviously they didn't die in vain. Uh, They blow up the death star and even like Galen. I mean, he built in a kill switch basically to the death star without them knowing. And that is how they blow up the first death star. Yeah. Um, Plus the plans that that rogue gets. So I'm sad I liked them all, but you know, their, their memory lives on. Forever. It does. <laughs> it does. And it's, and it's nice. And we will always remember that. I did kind of feel like I wanted to go to like a, a, a graveyard afterwards and like honor know, the memory. Like, like, <laughs> like pour one out for all of them. Like you're like at a bar and like the bartender's like, what's happening? And you're like, ah, my friends died. And they're like, Oh my God. How did it happen? And like, Man, they went to Scarif and tried to get the plans <laughs> to the death star, you know, pour one for me and pour one for gin. Thank you. The, the, the bartender's just like, okay. Start naming them all. Like, cool. <laughs> like that's a lot of shots, you. buddy. I mean, that's like a lot of shots not being drank. So it did the, sort of the documentary, like historical aspect of this was pretty, pretty strong. I think, I mean, it seemed intentional. Like this felt like we were, we were like, you know, that the, that the star Wars world was real. And we are like, you know, kids sitting in like a classroom going, and this is the battle for the, you know, for the plans. And like, yeah. we were watching almost like a, a historical reenactment of a real thing. Like for sure. Battle of Scarif. Well, I'm glad to, the, the other, the other hard part about this, is when you when you see when you read that scroll you know for the first time or you read anything in text that hints at a, a previous history your mind's eye fills in all the gaps and mm-hmm. oftentimes your mind's eye makes it much more it, it mythologizes it much more than probably the events actually were mm-hmm. and then when they actually go and this goes this applies to anything not just star wars when they go back and actually show you those events 9 times out of 10 those things fall flat because it doesn't ever sort of it, you you think well this is supposed to be more important than what they're showing me and like doctor hoop does this all the damn time it drives me nuts like they they hint at things that like these legendary moments that you know they're like well, that, that, at one point this happened and you're like oh my god it must have been great and then they go 
way too often they go back and then they show you that thing in like future episodes and it yeah. really isn't and like well that's kind What's of scara like the first time we ever see scara and then you're yeah. like oh, okay is his hands sticking up like i don't this seems yeah. more creepy than like you know like or even creepy. when like they're like river song was held in the storm cage prison i'm like storm cage prison that sounds badass and then they show it it's just like a a Are weird jail so some like <laughs> lightning going on behind i'm like really yeah. that's it like, and okay, so cool. this yeah. was one of those moments where i really feel like that scroll got every bit of like that it it deserved every bit of sort of uh, attention and importance they put on it like it yeah. felt like oh this is when it, when i think back like when you read that opening scroll of a new hope and you're like the, the plans were getting out and then, you know this felt like a big damn deal like sure. this felt like the drama and everything the attention was paid to this i'm wondering you know we're going to see that in the han solo movie maybe we'll see some hint of the kessel run like mm. you know is that going to feel as you know, interesting and as intense as kind of you, you fill, you backfill the blanks, you know, um, that's redundant. So <laughs> fill the blanks. And the other thing I was going to mention, and, and this is, this can be quick. Did it occur to you at any point that they were sort of not retconning, but sort of sh- sh- uh, glazing over some of the prequel stuff and almost like kind of, you know, kind of putting, you know, putting that back in the box and going, yeah, that stuff happened, but maybe not quite as you have seen it in the movies. And it, I bring this up because when they show, they didn't, I don't think they ever gave the planet a name. I'm going to assume when we saw Vader for the first time, we were on Mustafar. That's because, what I thought too. I was like, oh, this looks familiar. <laughs> but the way, but there was like this weird citadel that was there. And like it, they really, this, the design of it was very different from what we saw in, um, uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, and then there's other little things like Bail Organa. He, it was great that they cast Jimmy Smith. Like he pops up again, but it was almost like the way he, the way they kind of described the events of like the Clone Wars and stuff. And just, it, there was little touches here and there that made me think, even like when they revealed Vader and sort of his like stasis chamber, mm-hmm. um, it, it, all of that was very loyal to a new hope and the original trilogy and it kind of almost seemed like they were dancing around going, well, the, the prequels, had, the story kind of happened, but maybe we're just going to start to create the, the world that those particular prequels weren't what you think. And I, I, maybe that was just me, but it, just, it kind of had this sort of nuance of like, we're, we're going to sort of put our toe in the water to say, maybe we're going to do our own prequels in the future that sort of erase what George Lucas did. <laughs> and and I don't know. I just it, did you get that at all? Am I just is, am I imagining things that aren't there? I don't know. I mean, not really. And I I don't think it would be a terrible idea to do more prequels to the original trilogy. I don't think they should focus on Anakin Skywalker. But there's plenty of other stories that could be told as a prequel mm-hmm. to now. Rogue One is the first in the continuity mm-hmm. um, movies, wise at least. So I don't know. I mean, but yeah, like, especially when we first saw Vader, I was like looking at the planet and go, oh, look, lava. This is familiar. Like, wow, where, where have I seen this before? But they um, name check every planet except for that one. Yeah. And it's very interesting why they didn't. Kinda, like in a context level, it kind of makes sense to me that he would like hang out there because it's not super clear, like between Revenge of the... S- no, wait, it is because how old's Leia? Like, 18 or something so it'd be like less than 20 years which they could totally build some sort of you know fortress of solitude for him there (laughs) you know it was like in a in a in a 
a dramatic way. It's, you know, where Darth Vader was born. Ooh, is yeah. So I get why he would kind of hang out there. And it's just like a cool fucking, you know, there's oh, lava totally. everywhere. It's, it's like, a great visual. I think it in the feels books, like though, a bad guy. You know, it feels like a bad guy hideout, you know. Yeah. And it's almost like that they built basically like a new Sith temple because they have Ooh. guys there. You know, like the, that guy that came to like tell him that that Krennic was there. Yeah, obviously a servant or a disciple or something. So like a high priest of the I, of the Sith temple. Yeah. Or something. So I kind of wish they had talked about it, or at least identified it a little bit more, because they identified almost every other place. But like frantically, I it, but I think in the books, and and because I had a friend who literally sat down one weekend and gave me like so much of the books. Uh, I mean, every, I mean, this is like 15 years ago too. So it's mm -hmm. stuff that. You know, Thrawn, Thrawn or Thon was, yeah. you mentioned him, uh, all that stuff I, I became yeah, aware of. But I think Mustafar has always sort of been can in, in canon, like the home world of Darth Vader after after the, the battle with Kenobi. Yeah, um, yeah. And maybe it's just a matter of like, they're like, you know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to whitewash the prequels. We can just design it better now. And so maybe it's just yeah. a simple matter of that. Like, you know, it's been 10 years since that came out and we've gotten, you know, our scenic designers are better now and exactly. everybody is going to care a little bit more. So, you know, it, it could just be easily be, I just, I don't have this strange, there was a strange disturbance in the force that just sort of permeated that. Like I'm, I, I kind of got a sense, not, not like a days of future past, like that shitty X-Men movie never happened. Like not like that deliberate, <laughs> but just this idea of like, they may be sowing the seeds ever so delicately to go one day, we may go back and give you a different Anakin Skywalker story. That's going to be, better um yeah. so I, I don't know i don't know i don't think they will but they might give some other sort of context like you know another jedi story of some kind um mm. or a sith story would be more it'd be really cool by the way in in the books and this is spoilers for other stuff too but in the books the um you know the big temples that they're that the rebel base is in in this mm -hmm. and new hope apparently yeah. those were at one point like the original sith temples and there's all this stuff in the books that, and again, you could argue which books are canon, which aren't, you know, so Almost on and so forth. none of them. Unless they came out in the last four years and none of it is canon. Oh, okay. So they've yeah. actually said, we're, hmm, don't, yeah. don't get your hopes up. There's like only one thing, Thawne is being brought back for uh, Star Wars Rebels. So they might bring back other people. They've kind of opened the door for that. But for the most part, unless it came out after Disney bought the rights to Star Wars, none of it is. Canon. None of it is. Okay. So there's a potential then for those buildings, those temples to be connected to the Sith somehow. Yeah. Um, and that would be, I would love to see that. That would be kind of cool too. I mean, that's, that's getting way back in the Jedi mythology. And I kind of dig yeah. this idea that, you know, that is an ancient, like it, it has a very ancient quality to it now. And I kind of like that instead. It's, there's so much, you know, but once we've lived, I mean, if Disney keeps going with this, there, you know, 20 years from now, we may be in a situation where we're like, well, let's delve, let's go back and see. Yeah, exactly. And there was so many, so many cool stories in the expanded universe. I mean, Mara Jade is probably one of the coolest stories. My personal favorite Star Wars story is Darth Bane. Um, it's a three, it's a trilogy about one of the most powerful Sith Lords that's ever lived. And basically his whole thing is that he is so smart and like so strong in the force that he has set up things like even after his death, he has set up things that essentially lead to the, the fall of the Jedi in Revenge wow. of the Sith. Oh, I mean, not Revenge of the Sith, the, um, uh, uh, no, that's what I'm thinking of. Revenge of the Sith. Like, so okay. he, like, his his influence spans 
thousands of years, basically. Wow. I think it's like and, 2,000 years. Well, wait, 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 wait. He's not in any way connected to Snoke, is he? No. And that's what a lot of people were like, oh, Darth Plagueis was another name that got thrown out there, which is Darth Sidious's uh, master. Mm -hmm. um, and Darth Bane is like more so. I'd have to like check oh. the timeline in the back of the books. But I think Darth Bane lives like a, a thousand or so years, 2000 years before A New Hope. Damn. So, yeah. And so, like, I hope that I was really sad to see the expanded universe go um, because of a lot of the stories that existed there. And so that's why I'm kind of glad they're leaning more away from the core story and, like, doing things like Rogue One because it does open up the door of, like, maybe they're like, eh, maybe it's not exactly Mara Jade, but we'll bring in some sort of cool, Force-sensitive, former, you know, Sith smuggler lady like that'll be cool and we'll all get yeah. it like we'll all be like oh like Mara Jade I, I, I love it yeah yeah well I think that pretty much covers it I mean anything else any other thoughts that you want to you want to uh, get in there before we before we wrap the door wrap up on Rogue One um we mentioned him very briefly but um Riz Ahmed who played Bodhi Rook was really good he and was I mean, fun. He was he was good, and he was like good in this sort of like very scared, uh, you know, like he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he is still really good at stuff. And I just love. I mean, he. Someone was saying the other day that he's like one of the first. Uh, I believe he's Pakistani originally, uh, mm. Pakistani British. Mm. He's like the first Pakistani British man in a major motion picture that this person has seen that he was not a terrorist or like a bad guy <laughs> yeah. and that he was a, a hero he really was a hero and i i really liked him I've, re I've read a lot of stuff about him as a person and an actor of the the kind of um treatment he's faced in hollywood and just the treatment he's faced in general uh post 9 11 and so i'm really excited that he got to be in this movie and that little boys and girls, Middle Eastern, Pakistani boys and girls who love Star Wars get to see him and, that's and so cool. like know that he's a hero and that they can be heroes too. So, and, and that's and for any, hero, anyone. And a hero yeah. who had a change of heart too, mind you. Like he for was, sure. Like they had a change yeah. of crisis of conscience. Exactly. Like it's never too late. It's never yeah. too late to switch sides and do the right thing. Um, everyone who voted for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Hear that, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> Food for thought as we close this Food for this thought, year. everyone. <laughs> um, well, it's been a pleasure chatting Rogue One with you, Emily. Um, where can folks find you outside of this episode? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that Emily Kelly, K-L-L-E-Y. Um, the Assembly of Geeks podcast is in its last week. Uh, this week it'll be our last episode is on Wednesday of this week um, but we will have a new podcast in the new year um, for more on that you can go to assemblyofgeeks.com and I will be back for that new podcast as well and then of course you can find me uh, once a month to start at least uh, on right here on the their network for fan theories our next episode actually Taylor will be about Westworld <gasps> so maybe do you maybe you'll join us Taylor well, so, I'm looking forward. To, here's the deal. Questions. I'm looking forward to somebody selling me on Westworld because I and it. I'm I. Long story short, like it's gorgeous, it's perfectly acted, but I just have some major problems with with t pacing and everything. And I'm I really want somebody to put forth an argument that I would buy to okay. to reengage that show. So I'm looking we'll forward to you guys. <laughs> um, 
you know, trying to sell me on it. Um, I also am at Taylor Trask on Twitter and you can find me and Todd A on all our, uh, all our shows here at there.network. If you're listening to this prior to January 1st, um, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming in January, a whole new website, a whole new sort of presentation. Um, we also have our long awaited web series, uh, probably kicking off in January. So stick around, keep following us. We got a lot of cool stuff and, um, you know, find all our shows wherever podcasts are downloaded. Uh, it's been fun, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me and pitching in for Todd, uh, this week. Yeah. Oh, it was my pleasure. Anytime I get to talk about star Wars and have a little, my little geek out, it's the best. Yay. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>